Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for bringing us here. We thank you for your love, your kindness, your grace, and your mercy. Jesus, whatever is the the junk that we brought into this place, help us to lay it down here and now. Uh, Declutter our minds and our hearts. Help us to sit not only in your presence, but in the beauty of your word, your kindness, your instruction, your rebuke, um, your love, your mercy, and your grace. All of it, God. The full counsel of who you are speaking in our lives. We just submit to that in this moment. Uh, We love you so much. Be with us here and now. Jesus, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. It's in your name. Amen. So, uh, yes, wanted a shameless reason to put Bob Marley in church. Check. Got that done. Awesome. Uh, All summer, we'll be uh, starting out with uh, our good friend Bob. Um, Also, we're going to spend all summer on the book of Exodus. It's an incredible book. There's so much that you can take away um, for what happens throughout this story and happens in the life of Moses and God's people. And so that's all we're going to look at is, is the book of Moses. We're just going to march through it the entire summer. And, and I know Kevin did a great job kind of transitioning things uh, now as we, we settle into this book and what we're going to look at in the life of Moses. Um, I want to just remind you that you are the church. Okay, so uh, a lot of times what we have this mental model that when someone says, hey, you know, the church needs to do this, uh, what we think sometimes is, oh, the pastors should do this. Uh, the organist should do this. Tavarius should do this, right? And then what we forget is that actually the people, faithful believers and followers of Jesus who come together on a Sunday and look to their left and look to their right, they're the church. You're the church. And so the challenge that I want to place before you is a few ideas. Number one, um, when you are facing hardships and difficulty, when you feel that you're being stripped you're actually being equipped, number one. And that's what you're going you're gonna to hear this morning, um, is that when you think that you're being stripped, you probably are, but you're actually being equipped for something much greater. And when that moment happens, because we all walk that lonely road, every last one of us, some dark season, some lonely season, throughout Scripture, people always had one of two options, okay? They either look at themselves, and they make an assessment of themselves, and they come to the conclusion rightly that they have no place and are not worthy and they get discouraged and walk away or they look up and they look out. They look out at the greater context of God's mission and God's calling and they look to God for the direction and all that they're going to need to do whatever it is that he's asking them to do. Moses is faced with this exact same option. So us as the church, to be the church of Meyerland, For you to be the follower of Jesus in your community, to be more passionate about building the kingdom of God than building the kingdom of pilgrim, to be more passionate about being a Christian than a Lutheran, more passionate about scripture than the confessions. I'm impressed. I thought there'd be a lot more moving. Okay, that was good. No one even moved. I was just waiting to see how many more can I throw out there. Okay, and this is, this is what's at stake is the mission of God. And every last one of us, okay, have different things that we want to hide behind to keep from engaging people that are lost. In Moses' case, he had a whole group of people that were imprisoned, that were held under the oppression of the most powerful nation on the earth. And we all live next to people that are in similar slavery 
It's just with a two-car garage, an air conditioning, a picket fence, and a minivan. But don't get it twisted. They're under the exact same oppression of something else entirely, only it's spiritual. And just like Moses, if you think you're not equipped, or you don't think you have it in and of yourself, good news, you don't, okay? And you might think you have other issues, and you might. But this is about beginning to ask yourself the hard questions about the people to your left and to your right, not just in this room, but when you go home after church. The community to be kingdom builders. What is God in this room asking you to do? And how are you trying to silence or nullify that voice? Because that is exactly what Moses tried to do. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. And we're going to look at that too. Moses' story is crazy, okay? For all the stay-at-home moms in the house, okay? God bless you, all right? I spent three weeks home, and I've got three winos at home, okay? What do I mean by winos? I mean, they just whine, okay? It's never-ending whining. So the, the three little winos, if not careful, turn mom and dad into winos, okay? And that's the pressure and the stress and the insanity, right, of, of what that's like, right? And so there is this reality, right, of a family structure and this life together. And so for those of you that are like stay-at-home moms and you've been through that stress and this pressure, this is the only time in human history where you had a woman who was actually paid to watch her own kids. And only God could make that happen. See, this is a time when Egypt is, is in full-fledged power. They have absolute control. And Pharaoh is going to try to wipe out all of the little Hebrew children. And Moses runs the exact same risk. And his mother puts him in the Nile in a little basket. He floats down. And there's Pharaoh's daughter that sees this little baby crying. And she goes, oh, how cute. Dad, can we keep him? Please, 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 please. Right? And then Moses' sister walks up and says, hey, how about I find like a Hebrew woman that could take care of this baby as well? And she goes, oh, great. So who does she find? Moses' mom. Pharaoh would pay Moses' own mother to watch Moses. It will not be the first or last time that Egypt will empty out its treasury for God's people. And so this is how his life begins. Acts 7.22 says this, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and education and action. In Acts 7.23-24, it says, When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. So let's just stop. You know what Acts 7 says? Acts is giving us the inside of the timeline. By the time Moses is 12 years of age, he's being trained and educated in the highest court of the land to basically be Pharaoh one day. He is a prince. From 12 to age 40, he is getting the best education. He's being, as we would think in a worldly sense, equipped to the max so that he could even take over and run all of Egypt one day. There's no education better. And it's actually at age 40 that he would have this confrontation when he would act, when he would make a decision that would change his life forever. Scripture would go on to say that at some point he would go on the run 
He'd killed a man with his bare hands. He tried to actually hide him. Everyone found out, including Pharaoh, and he had to leave. It was time to go, okay? And he makes his way out to Midian, this, this area that is just desolate in this wilderness. And he actually comes across this watering hole. And when he gets this watering hole, there are these seven women. They're all sisters. They're the daughters of the priest of Midian. And they're trying to water their flocks and draw water. And then these shepherds show up. And they try to mess with the ladies. He try to run them off, try to steal what is theirs. And Moses pulls his shoulders back, puts his chest out, right? And he defends the ladies. These seven women go back home and their father's like, how'd you get back so fast? They go, oh, it was this guy named, this Egyptian named Moses. And he goes, well, have them come in and get something to eat. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's bread. Have them eat some bread. And I love scripture because it just crams the timeline together and leaves into question, was it really this awkward, okay? Because if you just read it literally, while they're eating, the old man's like, you want to marry one of my daughters? Right? Like, you did a great job protecting her, you know? Like, so Moses is like, eating bread, and he's like, you know, can I have some olive oil? You know, and the old, with this, you know? And the old man's like, well, uh, we don't have olive oil, but would you like one of my daughters? You know, I, I don't know how that worked out. He ends up with a woman, her name is Zipporah. In Acts 7.29 would say this, when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Exodus 3 would say, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Do you realize, all he knew, I had the best education the best job, the best opportunity. I made a terrible, fateful decision. I went out on the run, and now I'm in the wilderness watching sheep for a living. This is my life. I wonder how often he thought about that decision. I wonder how many times he sat back and thought, I wish I just could have done it differently. I had everything. I had the world at my fingertips. And I can't get it back. Now I'm in the wilderness. Tending sheep. And Acts 7.30 would say this. It says, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. Did you catch that? Do you know how old Moses is? Finally. He's 80 years old when he gets the call. So I got bad news for you, okay? If you're young in this room, you have an entire life ahead of you to serve God, an entire life. And guess what? If you're like 80 years old, you don't really have an out, okay? Because Moses is 80 and he's not knitting in you know, Shady Oaks retirement community. No, he's not. He's actually being empowered by God to rescue and redeem an entire group of people. So whether you're young or you're old, unfortunately, Moses blows this whole thing up. Okay? You don't have an out. He uses young and old, rich and poor, no matter your background. This is a murderer. Okay? Can you imagine me bringing someone up here okay, next week? Guess what, guys? Our new associate pastor did a little bit of hard time. Okay? He did kill a guy, uh, but man, he has a way with this staff thing. I'm telling you, we're going to bring him on our team. Okay? Half of you, if not all of you, would be highly, highly uncomfortable. Isn't that amazing that that's who God would use? An old murderer? So he'd use a terrible decision would set into motion the redemption of all of God's people. 
And Moses makes unbelievable excuses. He says, I'm not good enough. I don't have all the answers. People won't believe me. I'm a terrible public speaker. I'm not qualified. He throws up everything he can at God as to why he's not qualified to fulfill the mission of God. What are your excuses this morning? Because I can tell you, I dropped $80,000 on a college education to be a pastor and stand up here and do this, and every time I talk to someone about Jesus, I get nervous. And you want to know what my list is? I'll just, just spitball, okay? I'm not good enough. Uh, I don't have all the answers. People won't believe me. I'm a terrible public speaker. Certainly, I'll say something wrong or something idiotic, and I'm not qualified. And I bet yours is somewhere in that same vicinity. See, when God strips someone, he equips someone. That's how God prepares someone for the work that he wants to do. Moses' steps of loneliness and isolation and depression and regret were something about much, something much, much bigger than just his lonely steps. God was actually preparing him for something much, much more. But the thing is, when God strips you, you only have two choices. You can look in and be all about self and why you can't do it, or you can look up at what is it he wants you to do and trust that he'll carry you and look out into the world that needs whatever it is that God's put in you. See how that works? And there are times in scripture where people aren't able to do that. One of them is a rich young ruler. It's this rich young man who comes up to Jesus and he says, hey Jesus, what do I have to do to get the kingdom of heaven like I'm killing it? All right, I got lots of money. Because I have lots of money, people think he's right before God. That's what people would have thought back then. All right, I'm obeying all the commands and Jesus is like, well, kind of gives them a high level of the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't steal someone else's wife. Don't kill anybody. How are you doing so far? He's like, great. I haven't done any of it. Great. And then Jesus says this to him in Matthew 19, 20. He says, um, the, the young man says, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? And this is what Jesus says. If you want to be perfect, go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see what Jesus did is he looked at the man who thought according to the world's terms. He was equipped for the job at hand. And what does Jesus do? Before I equip you to follow me, I'm going to strip you of what you think I'm looking for. I want it all. And what does the young man do? He doesn't look at the Son of God staring at him. He doesn't look at what is the greater calling around him. He simply looks at himself, takes measure of it all, and decides he just can't do it, and he walks away. We all come to that crossroads with the mission of God. Do we look in? Do we look down and walk away? Or do we look up? Do we look out? When God equips you, he always, always strips you. And let me tell you what's really cool about this. You may never have connected this. So what happened with Moses? He had an education from age 12 to 40. He then goes out into the wilderness, what? From ages 40 to 80. Between 40 and 80, what happens to Pharaoh? That Pharaoh dies, okay? Now, any of you that have an 80-year-old in your family, okay? Do we have 80-year-olds in our families? Here's the thing about 80-year-olds, okay? They have no filter. They have no filter. 
You can't take them to a restaurant or a public place. Why? There's no telling what they'll say, and they don't care, okay? I live life. This is my opinion. I'm going to say it a little bit louder than the quiet noises around us. It's going to be awkward. That's their style, right? Because they've lived life. They're looking at death. They don't care, okay? What's your opinion of them compared to death? They're 80, right? I did it. So this is their attitude, right? So now Moses is 80 years old, right? And he had 28 years in Pharaoh's court. So what does that mean? It means he knows how they think. He knows how they're educated. He knows they're standing, and he's 80. He's not intimidated. When he walks up to Pharaoh, I knew your grandpa, punk. Right? He's not afraid. He's 80 years old. What does he have to lose? So this is the mindset. See, when he's out there tending this flock, right? What is he, what is he tending? Sheep, sheep, the most bullheaded, hard-headed, idiotic animal on the planet. What would the children of Israel? Bullheaded, hard-headed, stubborn in every way, shape, and form. How long would he be out there watching these bullheaded, hard-headed, stiff-necked animals? Forty years. How long is he going to take the children of Israel out into the desert? Forty years. And that, oh yeah, Mount Horeb, where he would routinely take these sheep around. What is Mount Horeb? You would know it as Mount Sinai. He would spend his time at the very mountain of God. What he thought were steps that were lonely. Steps of regret. Steps of despair. Were actually the very steps that God was going to use to lead someone else to their redemption, to their reconciliation, to a new identity. We have all taken a path and taken steps and made decisions, sometimes that took us down a journey that lasted for months or even years. And can I just tell you, God isn't wasting your breath or wasting your life. Some of the most alone moments you've ever had in your life is not God forgetting you, it's God equipping you for something more. The question is, will you look up to Him for it? That's it. Because that whole experience for Moses was only preparing him for something bigger. What you think is just a frustration with your career, or a situation with your health, or an issue with your child, or something in your future. What if, what if, what if it's a lot bigger than you? What if God wants to use the most heartbreaking, heart-wrenching aspects of your story and the experiences that you've been through for a greater cause and a greater purpose for His kingdom? What if, like Moses, you're convinced you absolutely don't have the words and the qualifications and the ability, but what if, just like Moses, you have the very words of God that will take, if not just one soul, out of the tyranny and the oppression of sin, death, and the power of Satan. You have that. You have the very words that set people free. And what if God wants to set into motion something in your life that's directly connected to those years in the wilderness? Those years in regret. Those years in loneliness. God would use that to set a whole group of people free. See, this is what God does. God would prepare Abraham to be the father of a nation only after Abraham was an unfaithful father to his own family. 
God would prepare Joseph to save his family only after being rejected by his family. God would prepare Joseph to be second in command only after he would first descend all the way to the bottom of a pit or the bottom of a prison cell. God would prepare Peter to lead the New Testament church, the rock whose confession God would build his own church. But he wouldn't do that until Peter first pretended he didn't even know who Jesus was, not once, not twice, but three times. When God strips you, God equips you. God uses your worst decisions. God uses your worst days. God uses your worst moments. The question is, are you consumed with looking at and taking stock of what you think about it? Or are you open and interested to what does God want to do with it? What is the Holy Spirit whispering into your heart and into your mind and into your soul? It may not be a burning bush, but do you hear it? And what are you throwing up against it? What are you trying to do to silence it? I want you to think about just this final thought that I have for you this morning. Jesus would look in just for one moment in his ministry. One time. He would be in the garden. And he'd say, Father, if you can let this, pa- this cup pass from me, let's do that. Take the burden of this responsibility. It was the one moment where God, being fully God and fully man, had a very human moment. If there's another way to do this, let this cup pass from me. And then he follows it up and he says, but if it's your will, I'll go. If it's your will, I'll do it. And when you think about Jesus on the cross from that moment on, everything else he says is about looking up and looking out. Father, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And to your hands I commend my spirit. It's finished. And I want to lay before you whatever it is, whatever you have going on in your world, whatever you've endured, it's not a waste. It is covered by God's grace, set aside for a purpose, to set those around you free by the price that Jesus first paid for you and for this world. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We ask God that when we take stock of our lives, when we think that we are unworthy, we probably are unworthy. When we think we aren't smart enough, we're not able to articulate all of our thoughts the way that we wish that we could, or we don't have it all together, God, all of that is true. We just ask that Jesus that you would impress upon us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you've called us to be your church, called us to be on mission, that we have the very words to set the people around us free, the beautiful gospel message that you would die for a broken and sinful world. So God, even if it's reluctant, even if it's fearful, even if we're uncertain, even if we don't know what we're doing next, guide us one step of the way in the knowledge that you are with us, Jesus. You go before us in this battle. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.